You're listening to Tech Recruit, a podcast that educates talent acquisition and recruitment professionals on innovation to attract talent across all industries. We're glad you're here. Welcome to the Tech Recruit podcast. My name is Stacey Broadwell. I'll be your host. And today we have a very special guest. She's the Senior Manager of Talent Acquisition for Hulu. I would like to introduce Miss Jessica Wheeler. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you. Jessica, you have such an amazing background and you bring with you so much of experience. And I was looking through your LinkedIn profile and one of the things that stood out to me that I wanted to initially speak about was the mission of Hulu. And for those of you who don't know, Hulu is one of the premium TV streaming services um, with amazing content. One of my favorite shows is The Handmaid's Tale. Mm, yes, that's a good one. Do you have a favorite? Um, so I'm really into um, Castle Rock, which it's darker than normal, but um, so that's one of my favorites. And then um, Casual was will always be my favorite just because I love the cast and I love the story behind it. So one of the things that it says, and I just thought this was so beautifully written, is we create, Hulu creates amazing experiences that celebrate the best of entertainment and technology. And to me, that just embodied this whole idea of innovation and experience and technology bringing that to an audience, which kind of is what I feel like I, I try to do with the LAX Tech Recruit Conference. But um, I wanted to ask you, do you feel that that culture is really permeated throughout Hulu? Um, yes, I do. And, you know, after being here for four years, I would say that it, it absolutely is. Um, every day. And, you know, when I was trying to decide if this was a place um, that I wanted to land in terms of my next, my next role, I, the number one reason why I took the job was the culture. Um, and, you know, it is a place that I feel like every time you turn around, something different is happening. We are constantly pushing the limits and pushing boundaries on what can we do next? What can we do better? And um, yet they are very inclusive of everyone participating in that. So I, I, I can honestly say that we do live and breathe our, our values every day. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to put out there, I wanna talk a little bit about how you got into recruiting. But before I talk about that, you know, with every company, there are certain levels of um, positions, whether it's director, manager, whatever the hierarchy or organizational chart might be. And I wanted to discuss a little bit about your role and what you're overseeing at Hulu, because um, you, you oversee a lot of recruiters, recruitment managers, sourcer coordinators, and in multiple cities, Tell us a little bit about the organizational structure that you're overseeing. Yeah, so Hulu's actually very flat. Um, and for those people that come here and are looking for title glory, this is not the place for them. Um, I would say you really have to take a look at the scope of the role. And I'm someone who's ha who had to adjust to that, um, specifically because when I got here, I was a manager and um, I was like, well, gosh, I've been a people manager for a while. Um, so it was very, that part was a little bit, um, I had to, I definitely had to adjust to that. Having said that though, um, you know, my role today is definitely much larger than what it was four years ago. But um, so I oversee anything around recruiting or talent acquisition now minus the operations piece. I used to have operations under me, but um, that was moved out back under our um, global head of um, uh, about a month and a half ago, two months ago-ish. 
Um, and so my team is sourcing, my team is coordination, um, recruiters, senior recruiters, um, and recruiting managers. Um, we have responsibility for employment branding. Um, it's actually, it's a dotted line. Um, and then a dotted line analyst. Hmm. So tell me a little bit about how many people are on each team and the different divisions that you oversee. So I remember, I feel like it was five different departments or five different managers with teams underneath them when we spoke last. Yeah, so um, there is a team in New York um, that's very small. That's a smaller office for us. Um, there is um, a team in San Antonio that um, is a smaller team, but that's because we also have our um, RPO that we manage that um, does the majority of the hiring there. Um, there used to be a team in Seattle. We recently moved that team um, out of Seattle and they sit in Santa Monica. Um, and then there is um, the tech and the non-tech team here in Santa Monica. And then there is Beijing. And so um, I, my direct management headcount has been reduced. I have an open head actually. Um, but it is, um, I now have five, four, excuse me, four, um, managers. And then those teams are made up of anywhere from four to seven, um, individuals. And those individuals could be a combination of senior recruiters. They could be a combination of just recruiters and a manager, um, there's coordinators that sit in each pod. Um, so it really depends on which pod it is. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's tech or non-tech because it, I mean, the non-tech pods are, some are smaller, one smaller than the other one. Mm -hmm. um, but it really, it, it's just a combination and depending on what the needs of that pod are. When you, I want to ask a little bit about the structure of how your recruitment managers and recruiters um, hire for your hiring managers or how they engage with them. Mm -hmm. Because the pods that you describe, are they, do they report to or service um, certain departments or do they go by certain roles? Like, do you organize it like, okay, this pod is going to, you know, uh, recruit for all of our technology roles across different departments? Or is it that they service only one department? Um, it's a combination. So if you were to look at um, marketing, for example, marketing is a very large organization within Hulu. Um, multiple functions within marketing. There's the creative side. There's the, you know, the original side, the, the acquisition side. Um, there's the product side. So it, with marketing, the way that it's set up is you have recruiters that support hiring managers within certain functions. So we have a creative recruiter and they, they support all of the creative um, recruiting. If you were to go into technology, because technology or technology team is so large, it can sometimes be a challenge, you know, and I think that the constant struggle for somebody in a role like myself is, do we have this set up the right way? What does the strategy need to be? Because this team is growing, whereas this team is not. And so um, we've got security that is one recruiter. We've got our data org that has a chief data officer that we are building out that's two recruiters because we've got someone who's on the product side that is only doing product product managers within the data org but then we've got somebody who's doing all of the developers and engineers within the data org so completely makes sense yeah it really varies based on what the organization is and what does the headcount look like for that organization that makes 
that makes more of a streamlined sense. I've worked with organizations before where they've had two recruiters working on the same role for different departments and there was no communication where they could say, hey, I have this great developer that would work great in your you know, position as well. So that's smart that they work across those different uh, roles. Yeah, um, and one of the things that we do too is we will do split loops. So for example, our developer profile is the same across the board, right? So you can have one recruiter who supports the ad team and the content team, but you can have another recruiter who supports maybe mobile and iOS and it's going to be the same profile while there might be, you know, certain pieces on each team that might be a little bit different. Um, at the end of the day, the profile is the same, the bar is still the same, and therefore the recruiters are able to share candidates because they do, they, they can work cross-functionally. So it hasn't, it hasn't always worked and it hasn't always been that way. But it it's now we've now been doing it long enough that we've been able to create a process that makes it work. I'll get to that. Okay. First thing I want to talk about, I want to jump back a little bit because you have a fantastic um, resume. And if you look on LinkedIn at your profile, and I, I want to encourage anybody to do this at your previous positions that you've held, your accomplishments are hands down fantastic and I like the way you position them and I think for a lot of recruiters who are looking to advance their their career in learning how to actually apply what they've done to achievements can sometimes be daunting or difficult especially when you're siloed as sometimes recruiters can be um, and not working on teams like software developers tend to do um, so I was looking at some of these accomplishments and you know, first and foremost, the reducing the time to fill. Um, I think one of the things that you stated on there that you were filling 200 positions a month. And sometimes I look at what I've done and I think, oh, I filled 35 positions in five months. And I'm like, that was a, an achievement, but 200 positions in a month is phenomenal. And then one of the other things you stated is um, across USA and Canada, you filled over eight, um, in eight weeks, you filled over 199 positions and just like that time to fill and then um, leading recruiters to fill 50 positions per week. So one of the things I wanted to ask you is when you are driving a team and encouraging them to um, fill positions and to to stay motivated, what is that like? What does that look like for you? Um, you know, I think it really depends on the team. If you were to, if I was to look at my team at um, Holiday, which was my company prior to Hulu, they were motivated um, very differently than what um, my team here is. And I think some of that has to do with the um the demographic of the recruiter of the recruiting team um some of it has to do with the roles that they were recruiting on and some of the other business challenges and so as a leader i've really had to learn to adjust my style to my team and um what i do today there are definitely some consistencies i would say that but what I do today is a little bit different than what I did before. But I think honestly, what it all boils down to is everyone likes to be appreciated. So I find out how do they feel appreciated. Everyone likes to um, know that their work is impactful. So I try to tie back what they're doing to the impact that it has on the business. And I think recruiters are naturally competitive. So I find out what drives them and what makes them want to win. And for some people, if you are at an agency, it's gonna be that commission check. If you are dealing with maybe a demographic that is, you know, they've recently had kids or they're they're in a stage in their life where work-life balance is important, then you find, you know, then you learn that. If you are dealing with maybe 
a millennial population, it is the, re the recognition, the larger recognition and what goes along with that. So I would say consistently just understanding who your team is and spending the time to make sure that they know that they are your top priority. Mm -hmm. And those are the consistent things that I've done since I've been in a leadership role to get the performance and to get the drive out of them that we needed to in order to meet the needs of the business. That is so key, understanding what their motivations are. Mm. And in being in the position that you're in right now where you're managing recruitment managers, it's a lot different than in managing recruiters who are individual contributors and have to have that time to fill and have to meet. I don't know if certain quotas or, you know, there's, there's certain um, things that they have to do to be successful in their role. Um, has there been times when you haven't had a successful or a not so successful recruiter and you had to let them go? Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think um, managing a manager out is a lot harder than managing a recruiter out, right? Because the manager in theory would be responsible for more bodies and you run the risk of those people who like their management management style, those people who appreciate them as a manager, um, you run the risk of them being upset with you and not agreeing with your decisions. So um, managing a recruiter out I mean, let's be honest, I think most of us probably have a goodie bag full of contract recruiters that we can reach out to if we're in a position where we're in a pinch moment. Sure. Um, and so that's a little bit easier of a fix. Yeah, there's going to be, there's still going to be some change management and there's going to be some, some ramp up. But at the end of the day, we probably even have some recruiters on the team who can pick up some of those requisitions while we are ramping up the contractor. So it's not, it's never fun regardless of what level the position is, but yeah, I mean, I've definitely had to manage recruiters out and it's unfortunate because you can, if you, most times people are afraid to say that they aren't, that they can't do something or they don't know how to do something and they're afraid to ask for the help. And if they would have just done that, it would have probably saved them their job, but they're afraid to do that. And so therefore they don't. And in turn, you know, it causes other issues. So I'll get to what makes a great recruiter and kind of the things that you look for in a moment. When you talk, you talked about tapping into appreciation. And one of the things that you developed in the past before Hulu was a, um, a rewards and recognition program internally. Is that what the purpose for that was? Um, partially, yeah, because the morale at the company was very low, but specifically on my team. I mean, as you can imagine, when you are having to make the number of hires that we were making in order to meet the needs of the business, it wasn't the type of environment that was flexible with, um, with recruiting in that recruiting couldn't go back and say, Hey, we're struggling with meeting the, you know, this hiring goal. Is there any flexibility in that number of 50 salespeople for the week or, you know, whatever that number was. So we just didn't have that flexibility. And, um, and so when you are, you know, constantly day in and day out on that grind, it can be very, 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 challenging to stay positive and people become disengaged because they feel underappreciated because there's no there, there's not enough exclamation points and good jobs to um really say thank you the way that you know we as leaders wanted to say thank you or needed to say thank you and so um it did require some thought and it did require that i spent some time understanding what motivates these guys and what does rewards and recognition look like for them and then it was something that over time it spread throughout the larger company and then we created a rewards and recognition team that was like you know a larger part of the whole organization it was part of shared services but 
initially it started because my team, the morale was very low. You also developed the college recruiting program, the first ever in the company, um, and a, a program you called Edit, the Executive Director in Training. What's that about? So, um, you know, as you can imagine, senior housing is, it's interesting because, you know, it's, there's such a need for it, and um, yet it's, a dying industry. I mean, literally in the sense of, you know, your residents pass away because, you know, they, they aid. No pun intended. Okay. Yeah. Um, But there's not very many people that when they are in school are thinking, gosh, I want to be an executive director or I want to get into senior housing. There's some, because there's some programs out there that, you know, offer um, this, uh, this opportunity after they graduate from college. But the, the vast majority of people, this is not the industry that they go into. They maybe fall into it. And um, so I worked for a company that really, we struggled with finding um, really strong executive directors. And we were willing to lean in on certain people, but not on others. And we couldn't really identify, or I was having a hard time identifying what that profile looked like. And so it was more of a selfish need than anything that got me thinking about it. And so I was trying to be creative. And so I just said, Hey, listen, why don't we start talking to people who are focusing, you know, focusing on healthcare and they don't really know what direction they want to go why don't we start talking to people that are um, in, you know, in business programs that, again, aren't, they're not certain with what direction they, they want to take their career. Um, and we want to highlight the benefits of working for and running basically their own operation. And, you know, as an executive director, there were certain buildings that, that we were allowed to take up. A higher risk on someone and lean in on somebody just because the way that the profit margins worked out for us. But then there were other buildings where we couldn't do that. And so we identified what those buildings were and we gave individuals who either just come out of college or who were um, not sure which direction they wanted to go the opportunity to basically run a building with. Um, in concurrently with a, an executive director who was looking for um, more opportunity to mentor and develop. And so they would work with a more senior um, executive director at one of our other buildings to get brought up to speed. And then eventually they'd be able to take over the smaller building. And again, it was something that in the end, it ended up working out great. And we were able to implement it in, you know, in uh, a good chunk of our buildings. But it also then became a program where people would, after they graduated from college or the summer that they were, you know, between their junior and senior year, they would shadow our executive directors. They would learn about what it was like to be an executive director. There were a lot of um, entrepreneurs that were in this group because they felt like they actually ran their own business because they were responsible for the hiring. They were responsible for the marketing. They were responsible for the budget. So it wasn't intended to be that way. It was intended for us to just go through this exercise in a creative way to find people, but it ended up being a program that we were actually able to really create a true program and put some money behind and put some process behind because it ended up working. So all of these programs and initiatives and looking for the applicant tracking system and bringing a new one on and, and, spearheading new ideas for a company that doesn't have any in place says one thing to me, persuasion, that you have that power of persuasion, that there are a lot of recruitment leaders out there whose question is, how do I step into the executive boardroom with an idea and a challenge and how do I present it in a way that they're going to have buy-in? So I guess I want to ask you, well, two things. is that something that you feel is is your forte? Uh, do you feel like that's one of your qualities? Is it something that you're constantly working on? Yeah, um, I mean, I think that one of my um, 
one of my strengths is definitely relationship building. And part of that is that, you know, with, with, when someone builds a positive relationship, there's that trust that's there. Right. And I approach things with positive intent. And so, um, I feel like because of that, I'm able to influence the business in ways that maybe somebody who doesn't have a good relationship or who doesn't always come with positive intent, um, they might have all of the data and all of the facts in the world behind them. But if the person that you're talking to doesn't trust you or just genuinely doesn't care for you, they're not going to go with you and your proposal. Right. So, and I can, I can speak to that because I was in that position. I was on the side of the table where I had to make the decision. And there were two companies that were presenting something to me. One company I genuinely enjoyed them and their approach. They were more expensive, but at the end of the day, I felt the chemistry was better with us and I trusted them. Whereas the other company was, they were much less. And, but I didn't, I didn't trust them. I felt like there were too many hoops that I had to jump through and I just wasn't feeling the sincerity. And so I didn't go with them. And so I think it's the same thing. And that's, where I, I mean, I definitely pride myself on the relationships that I have, that I have built and the, and you know, the, the genuine trust that people have in me, because I think I genuinely trust people initially. I don't, I give everyone the benefit of the doubt until I shouldn't. Even sometimes I still do. I think that is an important attribute for those who are listening to recognize where it is the power of persuasion and be, being able to motivate teams comes from that position of a positive intention. So that's, that's a real key takeaway. Let me ask you, um, how did you get into recruiting? What was your start? Um, I was actually, I was in sales. Um, I was managing um, an inside sales team at a technology company and I um, I was losing my job because of an acquisition and so I reached out to a friend of mine who was a recruiter and I said hey if I give you my resume can you help me find something and he worked at um, an executive search firm and I I knew what recruiting was. I mean, I'd had recruiters that I worked with as a hiring manager and I had had recruiters who had called me, but you know, this was gosh, years ago, I want to say it was probably 12, 15 years ago. I'm totally aging myself, but whatever. Um, and so, you know, I don't think that recruiting was at least in my mind, it wasn't as much of a thing then as, um, what it is today. I mean, now you turn around and there's, you know, a dozen agencies that are at your fingertips. But, um, so when my friend said to me, have you ever thought about recruiting? And I was like, never once. So he said, come into our agency, have a conversation with our CEO and see what you think. So I did. And I started out in the agency world and, um, I worked a desk and it was the hardest job that I've ever had because I was on a draw. I didn't make any money unless I made, made placements. And um, it established very, very, very um, healthy um, behaviors in the sense that if I didn't have a certain number of phone calls, if I didn't have a certain number of call time, if I didn't have a certain number of send outs, data was going to tell me that I wasn't going to make the hire. And my boss was going to tell me that I wasn't on the phone long enough. And my bank account was going to tell me that I needed to hurry the heck up because I wasn't going to be able to make my mortgage payment. So, um, you know, one, I loved talking to people on the phone. Um, I loved learning about people's stories and I legitimately loved putting somebody into a role that was clearly more superior than what they were doing the day before. 
whatever that was, whether that was financially, work-life balance, higher morale, better location, whatever. And that's what kept me in it. I'm giggling a little bit because when you say I've put them in a position that's clearly more superior to the one that you just had, it is verbatim Lou Adler. Oh, oh. <laughs> when he is it? talks about screening and having appropriate questions for his performance-based marketing and performance-based hiring, that's one of the questions, the key questions he has. So, oh my gosh, that's so funny. I didn't realize that he said that. <laughs> it's, that's good. Um, so, okay. So that's how you got your start in recruiting, um, and then um, then you joined Hulu. So I guess one of my question is, when you joined Hulu, what was that like, and what were some of the challenges that you had once you joined? Yeah. So um, challenge number one was that I was moving from Portland, Oregon to Los Angeles, California, and I had a young daughter and my husband had to stay back in Portland with his job for a while. So there were personal challenges that went along with um, making the move. Um, so that was, I'll keep that in the back of your mind as I'm dealing with some of the other challenges. Um, so challenge number one was the individual that hired me. Um, I took the job, one, because of the culture, two, because of the people. And, um, he left four months into me joining. Um, and so that was very disheartening for me. Um, second challenge was I was in technology. I was in media and I was in entertainment, three spaces that I really didn't know anything about. Um, so I had to learn very quickly what it meant to live in that intersection. Um, third challenge was I needed to build out a team and I needed to be able to make 720 hires a year while I was doing it. Um, and then it, the next challenge was, okay, I have the team, I'm making the hires, but I also have 17 individual contributors and I'm about ready to pull my hair out because I have zero time in my day to analyze and look at anything else where we had very limited processes. We had zero data. Um, we didn't have any metrics in place to really measure the recruiters. So, you know, there's been plenty of challenges since I have been here, but I would say the biggest ones initially were really that I lost my leader. Um, I had to build out this team and I had to learn a space that I didn't know anything about. Okay. So you're at Hulu you, um, you're learning technology, you're learning entertainment, which yes, can be very daunting and there's some ramp up time involved and plus you're managing. So when you came in, were you managing initially individual contributors and a recruiting yeah. teams? Yeah. And so there was no data in place. There was no, um, these are metrics to identify the performance of your recruitment teams. Right. So what, what did you do to persuade the team or the, the executive board to start using metrics or is this something that you did on your own? So um, we had an analyst as part of the operations, the recruiting operations team. And um, he and I partnered pretty closely together to, because he was building out a dashboard because we were at a, at a stage company-wide where we needed to start reporting out just recruiting in general. Like what, one, what were some of the challenges, you know, that we were having? Why weren't the positions being filled fast enough? They needed to just see some data points because we are a very data-driven company. And up to a certain point, we weren't really ready for that. But we were now at a point where recruiting needed to jump on the bandwagon and be more data-driven as well. And so, um, so I partnered with him, but to be really honest, I didn't put any metrics in place with the team until I established credibility with them. And, um, because, you know, most recruiters, they don't think with that side of their brain, right? That's what recruiting operations is for. That's what the analysts are for. Even coming from an agency world where metrics were all that, you know, most of us knew, 
it wasn't natural and it wasn't fun and we didn't really understand the story. And so I couldn't, you know, six months in, four months in, I couldn't very well come to them and say, hey, you have to hit these metrics every week, right? So I didn't implement metrics until probably my second year here. Um, but what I did do was I did start showing them and using the dashboard so that they could see, gosh, my time to fill just decreased. Well, what did you do different? Gosh, my, you know, my pipeline looks a lot lighter than what I was expecting it to. Well, what are you doing different? And just like talking through to help understand like the whys behind the dashboard and the data. And over the course of a year, they really started to adapt it into their world. So then what was happening was my conversation with the recruiters of, hey, I was meeting with the business today and showed them the dashboard and they loved it. They found this you know, very enlightening. They thought that it was insightful. They had no idea that you were making 70 phone calls in a week. They had no idea that you were disqualifying the number of candidates that you were or moving candidates, whatever. And so once they started to understand that there's a story that they could tell, then they jumped on board with that. And then it was easier for me to put metrics in place because metrics tied to data. How closely married is the data to the performance of the recruiter's actual input of the data? into the applicant tracking system, whether it's you're pulling data from the phone calls that they're making, when you're looking at the, those data metrics, I think sometimes you might have recruiters who are not really good if they're coming from the agency side or where they might be coming from, of actually putting the data in and making sure that it's solid and making sure that they are, you know, when they're selecting that a candidate was screened or you didn't like him, maybe the reasons why, that it's the same across the organization. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there was definitely inconsistencies there. There still are. I mean, four years later, there's definitely still some inconsistencies. And I think, um, you know, you when someone goes about implementing any sort of metrics, they have to go into it with the mindset of this is a starting point for us, right? This is where this is a baseline, and we have to we have to have baselines in order to then move ahead, right? So. What we did was, that was the message that we sent, was this is a baseline. And we knew that people were using our applicant tracking system inconsistently. And this was almost, looking back, this was almost a, um, a way to identify that because when the recruiters would take a look at the dashboard, they were like, well, this isn't right. And it's no, the, the data itself is correct. The workflow is not correct. And so that's what we then had to work on because the data is going to pull from our applicant tracking system. It doesn't track their phone time. I quite honestly, I don't, I don't care. We don't even talk on half of us don't even have phones on our desks. Um, but so it's not, we don't, we're not tracking phone time. What we're tracking is we're looking at the workflow steps. And so I would say, you know, understanding the, the discrepancies between how people are using the applicant tracking system, implementing data like this or implementing some sort of a dashboard will give you insight into that. And so it's been a work in progress and we're able to look at it and say, okay, the tech team is using this workflow step like this, but the non-tech team is using it like this. So why, what's the discrepancy there? And so, just as um, as recent as last week, we were looking at source codes and um, making sure that we had the right source codes in there. And we were looking at um, um, ways that we DQ somebody and do we have the right, um, you know, the right disqualifiers in there, if you will, and making sure that everyone understands. So it still is a work in progress, but I think a place to start is just establishing those baselines and using your applicant tracking system as the method of pulling your dashboard so that you can point out to your team, okay, here's where we're starting and here's where the inconsistencies are. 
are there certain metrics that are most important to you? And again, we're talking when we're talking about data, I think of two different things. I think of data internally to manage your recruitment team, and then the data to manage your advertising and where your sales, your funnels for your recruitment candidate pipelines are coming from. But on the internal managing your, your recruitment team, what are some of the metrics that you look at? So we here at Hulu, we call those expectations. So at an agency, they're called metrics, right? But I feel like that word is very intimidating to some people because it is, yeah. It, you know, they, they are used to it being used in an intimidating fashion. And so here it's expectations because in order to be a recruiter on this team, you have to meet minimum expectations. Um, and so really for, for us, I mean, we look at um, um, the met or the, metrics slash expectations that we have in place are yes we look at time to fill that's not a that's not an expectation that is anything more than just tagging this for you trying to understand why is why is this role been open for 180 days when typically the average time to fill for this is 90 days right so trying to understand that um, but it's really the different touch points in um, the candidate life cycle. So when we're looking at the applied ins, how many of them are moving to the next step in the process? And then how many of those are moving to the next step in the process? And really the touch points that the recruiters have control over. There's so many pieces that the business owns that we can't expect that the recruiters are going to be able to manage that part of it they can manage expectations and they can do their best but at the end of the day if the hiring manager is sitting on seven resumes and their schedule just doesn't allow for those candidates to be scheduled for you know six weeks out the recruiter then needs to set expectations to help the hiring manager understand listen this is going to put you, put your search out there further so um so there's the touch points that the recruiters own and then um hiring manager and candidate satisfaction surveys because that's going to let you know us know how are they performing with against the business and from a candidate perspective that candidate experience i love the candidate surveys is that something new that you've implemented or have you been doing that for a while no so we implemented it probably two years ago three years ago and we've revisited the surveys multiple times um, not multiple times, we've revisited the surveys because they were pretty laborious for the candidate and even for the hiring manager. Um, and so, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those things where um, you, you have to definitely be very thoughtful about the questions that you use. Um, you have to recognize that for us, there could be multiple people in different parts of the process. There could be a coordinator, there could be a sourcer, there could have been a recruiter that all touched this candidate. And so recognizing that the questions need to either, you either need to be okay with the questions identifying each person in the process or just identifying the overall process and you're just going to take generalizations and you're going to, you know, measure that. Can I ask about the more on the um, funnel, like recruitment marketing analytics? Do you have a yeah. hand in that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's very that's very big for us. So I think I've seen this evolution in the as the recruiter being more of like this data scientist, recruitment marketing analyst, and um, it's kind of this marriage between like digital marketing and like you know data analytics. And I actually have a degree in corporate finance. I went, I, my first uh, position out of school was in data analysis and that's how I started my career. And so there's always been that little piece of me that misses that analytical like work. And now that you have the evolution of recruitment, having that and this explosion in people analytics, it's very, it's a very exciting time. So what are some of the things that Hulu is doing? Um, so we just recently created a people analytics team. And so we have a new um, director. She's not really that new anymore. She's been with us for not quite a year. 
Um, but we have a director of people analytics and I feel like if you were to talk to her, I mean, she's wickedly smart, but she has her hands in every part of the business. Um, and you know, it's interesting because she looks at the data that recruiting produces to help us understand, you know, where potential, um, landmines could be. Um, she looks at not only our LinkedIn data, but she looks at, you know, just our dashboard data that we collect from our applicant tracking system. She looks at all of our HRIS data. She works with, you know, all some of the external parts of the business to understand even, you know, from a viewer's perspective, where some of our viewers are coming from. And I think the great part about her is that she is she is someone who can bring all of that back and tie it back together around um, hooligan satisfaction, around um, viewer satisfaction, um, uh, landmines, pitfalls, areas that, you know, from a hiring standpoint that we're going to need to be thoughtful about. Um, she just, she loves to review all sorts of data. And then because she sits, you know, within... HR, um, or as we call it here, Tao, because she sits within our group, we are spoiled in that, you know, she can relay some of that to us so that we can then better think about, okay, from a staffing standpoint, what do we need to do to get creative? The data tells us that this person at this level stays for this long. We know that the average tenure of this team is getting to that point. Are we going to need to start pipelining for those roles or, you know, something along those lines? That is so key with the analytics that is being done, that predictive abil uh, ability of analytics to make an impact on your organization. And it's interesting seeing how companies are really putting budget into developing those technologies and those capabilities. Yeah. So, yeah. I would love to talk to her actually. Um, our next conference is on people analytics. That's our Ooh. theme. So okay. maybe there's some opportunity there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm happy to make the introduction. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so you, you spoke at LAX Tech Recruit on how to build talent acquisition teams. I wanted to ask you quickly before we, we head out, um, what are the things that you look for in, in your hiring for yourself recruitment managers what is some of the DNA of a recruitment manager that you look for to join Hulu's teams? Yeah, I think that for me, you know, I want someone who, um, who is passionate about people. Um, I want someone who is um, excited about developing teams and developing others because here at Hulu, we hire very ambitious individuals and we say here at Hulu you own your own career um, and so knowing that we've got people who are constantly striving to develop and develop doesn't necessarily need to mean promotion so somebody who can find ways to develop people that isn't necessarily meaning that they're going to get a promotion um, so you know, though, though, so far those two things. Um, I want for them to be a good listener because a lot of times people don't really know exactly what it is that they want, but sometimes they just need to be able to talk things out. And if you've got someone who's not a good listener, then that, that unfortunately it's going to go in one ear and right out the other. Right. So they're not going to be able to help solve for some of the problems. Um, the business acumen and then the political savvy are two other things because having that political savvy is going to allow them to understand how to have conversations with the, the larger part of the business and the business acumen is going to just make those conversations go that much smoother because they really truly understand what they're getting themselves into. Now, does that mean that they have to know what it's like to recruit in um, content or what it's like to recruit in the marketing space? Not necessarily, but 
I would say that if they understood that the makeup of their team was in the tech space, that they had been a tech recruiter for a, a portion of their career, and that they had a progressive career as a tech recruiter. If they were on the non-tech side, I would want to understand what were some of their accomplishments um, on the non-tech side of the business that they did as a recruiter that they had as a recruiter, because I think that those accomplishments will help them understand how to help their recruiters in their day-to-day -day recruiting stuff, um, how to make that an accomplishment or how to turn that into an, a, pro a project, which can be an accomplishment. So do you ha currently have positions that you're looking to fill? If so, where can listeners find them and how can they reach out to you or how can they apply? Um, yes, I do. I've got a manager position that's open right now that is overseeing um, a combination of tech and non-tech because it is pretty specific. It's our um, ad tech or ad product, ad sales um, manager. So um, if they are interested in applying, they can go to our website and apply. Um, and then we have um, a tech recruiter position that is also open. And again, they can go to our website and apply there too. Are both these positions in Los Angeles? Yes. All right. Well, thank you. I, I want to leave with one last question. Did you have a mentor or somebody who influenced you in recruiting? I did. I, um, I had one earlier in my career. I had one in the middle of my career, and I have a couple of them now. And I cannot recommend it enough. I literally, these people were my backbone to helping me make decisions. They gave me great ideas. They um, talked me off the ledge. Um, they were encouraging when I didn't have a boss that was encouraging. But most of all, I think that they were a fan of me and they were supportive of me, but they were very honest in their approach with me. Excellent. That always helps. Jessica Wheeler, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you being on the Tech Recruit Podcast. Take care. Yeah, it was great. Thank you for having me. Oh, 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 oh,